heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I. Send me. Please be seated. If you would like to open your book, your Bible, to the book of Isaiah, we're going to get to chapter 6 here momentarily, but I hope you have gotten a piece of paper that looks eerily similar to this. If not, they're found there uh, back on the little silk. You're more than welcome to any of them or all of them. If you didn't get one, I'll sell you this copy. No, I'll make sure you get a copy. This one, actually, I drifted away on my hole-punching skills on this one, so... As we've been looking at the idea of the scarlet thread that runs through the Bible, the mention of Jesus the Christ as he drips off of every page, we make our way to the book of Isaiah tonight. And I like Isaiah, uh, not as if I don't like the others. And it's a very convenient book. There are 66 chapters in the book of Isaiah. Does that correlate with any other 66 you think you might know? There's 66 books in the Bible. The first 39 books in the Bible are the Old Testament. The second 27 books in the Bible are the New Testament. In the first 39 chapters of the book of Isaiah, it deals with the fall of Jerusalem. In the last 27, it deals with the coming Messiah. Hmm. It's interesting then that the nation of Israel would call this book the Little Bible. It, it puts our mind in the same frame of reference as the Bible does. The key word found within the book of Isaiah is probably salvation. It's mentioned 26 times. I think, is it four or is it seven? Seven times in the other uh, books of the prophets. In their entirety, it's only mentioned seven times. And he mentions it 26. You think that's important? Absolutely. We'll, we'll do a straw poll here. How many of you do not want salvation? That's even important to us, isn't it? Sure. And so as he's writing these things, he's writing to these things to a group who will be upcoming and facing a lot of problems, and yet he is still reminding them that salvation is right on the horizon. Because I made these up, I get to assign whatever key verse I want to. Although they are all good, I have assigned on this particular page, Isaiah 7 and verse number 14. Behold, there the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. There are two things I particularly like about Isaiah 7, 14. One is the fact that Mary is mentioned about 370 years before she's born, or 770 years before she's born, and Jesus is mentioned about 750 years before he's born. The virgin. You, have, you may have one that says a virgin. That's an incorrect, just happens to be an incorrect article. The virgin. The one that he has already chosen. That particular bloodline, the reason why he chose Abraham in the first place, is coming to fruition through this one. The key phrase, Holy One of Israel, found 25 times in this simplified form. Holy One found eight times. I have assigned the key chapter as 53. That sort of puts it all into perspective 
from the key verse where he's born and by how he will be born through that virgin to the way he'll die. Sort of, in my mind, it sort of all ties it in there. Uh, if you don't think so, uh, well, then, well, our minds just work differently. The, the name Isaiah means salvation of the Lord. Uh, Isaiah was part of the royal family. He was a king, or he was a cousin, to King Uzziah. Now, we're going to talk about him tonight. This is going to be, chapter 6 is going to be somewhere around 748 to about 734-ish, somewhere around there. Isaiah was very spiritual. He was highly educated. He was, he really worked in the court system. He was a, for lack of a better term, and this really doesn't describe his job, but for lack of a better term, he was the court stenographer, but not really. He, he did do that job, although he was very frequently alone and had a, a personal relationship with the king at the same time. And so he occupied a few hats while he was in Jerusalem. Uh, he is one of the most well-known prophets. He's called the Prince of the Old Testament. Uh, there are three main divisions in this particular book and three main uh, kings within the particular, this particular book. Uh, he was a contemporary with Micah and Judah and Amos and Hosea in Israel. Uh, history tells us that Isaiah was sown in half, according to Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 37. That's the reference there. Uh, even some that were sown asunder. Um, you know, the quickest way to saw someone in half is as we have seen on every magic show ever, right? Right, right, kind of right down the center. Um, history would, would let us know that Isaiah dies an interesting death as they hollow out a log and then they encase him in this log and they close it up. And then they start from the feet and they begin to saw this log in half lengthwise so that he suffers the longest. I wouldn't do that. Well, you can't be Isaiah. Isaiah saw the northern nation and the southern nation both punished by God. And within this particular book, there is a reckoning of the coming of the Christ. Chapter 6, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, sitting upon his throne. And his train filled the temple, and above it stood the seraphim. Each one of them had six wings. With two of the wings he covered his face, with two of the wings his feet, and with two wings he did fly. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the sound of his voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. And then I said, Woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips and dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King and the glory of the Lord of the host. Then one of the seraphim flew unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from the, uh, from the altar with tongs and laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this day 
hath touched thy lips, or lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin is purged. I also heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and, and who will go for us? And then I said, Here am I. Send me. And he said, Go and tell this people, Hear ye indeed, but understand not. And see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of his people fat, and make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they with their eyes see and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and convert and be healed. And then I said, Lord... How long? And he answered, until the cities be wasted without inhabitant, until the houses without man, until the land be utterly desolate, and the Lord hath removed men far away, for there be a great forsaking in the midst of the land. But yet it shall be in the tenth, and it shall return, it shall be eaten as a tall tree, as an oak, and the substance in them. When they cast their leaves, so the holy seed shall be the substance thereof. Isaiah chapter 6. What in the world did we just read? Have you ever woken up from a dream and thought, what in the world did I just dream? My favorite ones are when I am, uh, obviously I'm asleep, but I'm driving my truck, and for some reason I begin to fly my truck. That's fun. You can just fly it around, do whatever you want to do. This is neither a dream, nor is it reality. Isaiah, in the middle of the day, finds himself in a trance. Now, let's think in, in, in perspective of what's the difference between a dream and a trance. Uh, here, biblically speaking, one is when you're asleep and one is when you ain't. Okay, so he's not been asleep, but, but he begins to see this vision as if he's in a dream. And, and what he sees is the, the year when his cousin passes away. King Uzziah dies around 740-ish is when he dies. And he gives us that perspective, I think, because he's going to show us a greater king. He's going to show us a more profitable king in this chapter he's going to he's going to literally pull back the curtain for a moment and allow mankind for as much as God will place within this chapter and really within a, a, a small section of this chapter he's going to let us see the throne room and when he Uzziah, the king, his cousin, dies. Isaiah sees the throne room. He sees the throne. He sees uh, one sitting on it who is very tall, high, and, and lifted up. 
That is, that everyone around him is not on the same level as he is. Would you like to know why? Because nobody around him is on the same level that he is. High and lifted up. And the clothing that he wears wraps around the throne and then encircles the room. Have you ever seen anything like that? You have, you probably just don't realize it. How many of you went to weddings in the late 80s, early 90s? If you have, what you realize is the, the fad of the day was if I can make this train on the back of this uh, bride's dress go from this point to just beyond Little Rock, that'll be good enough. You know, it would be all clumped up and, you know, you'd have two or three little girls there holding it, straightening out, all that kind of thing. This is the exact same thing. His clothing is laying around and he hasn't spoken a word yet. All you see is him sitting up on this, on this lofty throne and his clothes encircling everything, showing his greatness. And if that were not enough, if that were not enough... There's a select group of created beings that we don't know about that, boy, we wish we did. Or we know, we know enough, as it were, to put in a, in a thimble and rattle around. We wish we knew more. Don't you wish you knew what the angels do and what they look like and what they were created for and what they were supposed to do and all those kinds of things? Here's a group you can find out exactly their job. The only time they're mentioned with a job is found right here in Isaiah chapter 6. And these seraphim have six wings. Now this is... Please take out of your mind the baby that's found on the angel soft package. Take him completely out of there. This is not this one. Yeah, well, what does he look like? He's got six wings. Yeah, well, what else? I don't know. I'm reading exactly what you're reading. Yeah, but preacher, what about... I, I'm, I, I have the same book you do. I don't know what they look like other than they have six wings. And two of them, they covered their head. Why would they do that? sign of reverence toward the one they are flying over. They're covering their face as if to say, I'm not worthy to look upon that. I'm imagining, I have to imagine right here, but imagining in my mind that these, these wings are, are feathered like any other set of wings I would see. And I, I would assume he is covering his face. And as, as he does, he's covering over his head in the same fashion. As if to say, I, I'm not even worthy to look upon the one who's sitting on this throne. With two, he covers his feet, symbolically claiming, I am not even worthy to stand on the ground where this throne is. How do you know that? Because he's hovering with the other two. How do you hover with wings? Ask the hummingbird. That's all I can tell you. I don't know. D does his wings flap like that? I don't know. 
Y'all are really going way above my pay grade. I'm reading the same thing y'all are. I don't know how the mechanics of it work. I am not a mechanic, nor am I an aviation or a, a, a bird, whatever that one would be, a bird expert, but I can tell you kind of what's happening. They're hovering. And as they sit within this room and they're hovering, they, they begin to look to the right and to the left of each other, and they begin to scream from one to the next. And these are the words that they scream to each other. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. And then it goes from the right side all the way over to the left side. And then from the left side all the way back over to the right side just in waves after waves after waves. Are you understanding it yet? Do you know where you are? Do you understand yet? No, we don't understand because then he speaks. Now listen what happens when this one from the throne speaks. When he speaks, the structural integrity of this room vibrates and moves. Is that right? Check or nod. Okay, I don't know everything I know about everything, but I'm going to tell you this. If I'm walking through those double doors back there and the door jam just sort of crumbles, I'm going to be highly suspicious of how that was put in, Right? What if I speak here and they just sort of shift a little bit? Wouldn't that be neat? It, that would absolutely be not because of any power that I possess. But here, the one who is speaking has the power to move structurally where he is. Does that say something about the one who created where he is? Or does it say more about the one who is speaking? When he speaks, the doorposts move. Now notice this. And somehow, this room where he is fills with smoke. Somehow that happens. Are you buying yet that he, this is not reality? That this is some sort of trance that he's in? Let me show you how I know that. Let's, let's skip a little bit and we're going to come back. Now let me show you how I know that. Look at verse number 6. Here comes one of the seraphim as they stopped yelling apparently. And he comes over to a, a burning uh, an altar area and he grabs a white hot piece of charcoal and he puts it on the lips of Isaiah and says to Isaiah I have put this on your lips one day my grandfather never threw anything away And one day I was helping him clean slag off of uh, some old, I guess, I don't know how old these nails were, but they looked like maybe perhaps they were from the frontier era. And I would heat them up with a, a handheld torch and just sort of scrape them off. 
and I was reaching over that to get another nail in my forearm, touched that hot nozzle. And my grandfather said, what are you doing now? You have touched that hot nozzle. Or I went like this. Ah! Now, which one do you think it was? Why did that angel have to tell Isaiah he touched him in the mouth with a hot coal? Because it's not, it's not based in reality. He's learning a lesson, but he's not learning it from reality. He said, oh, I've touched you, and now you, the, the, the sin of your lips are clean. We've purified those things. We've, we've burned those away. Mm. Your sin is purged. Well, then why doesn't the angels today just reach down here from a, with a coal from the altar of God and just burn our hearts, metaphorically speaking, and then our sins would be purged? Hmm. It's a great idea. You know what the problem with that is? Genesis chapter 9. Now you're looking at me crazy. What happens in Genesis chapter 6, 7, and 8? There's a big old flood, isn't there? How many people survive? Eight. God essentially wipes sin off of the earth, right? The problem is found in Genesis chapter 9. Noah ushered it back in. Why in the world do we think if, if God were to send that angel down here and he were to touch my heart with that, that white burning coal, that that would make the difference? His son won't make the difference? There are only two real points to this lesson. And those two points are found in verse number 3. In verse number 8. So we'll start with verse number 3. After that place fills with smoke, Isaiah says these words, Woe is me, I am undone or unclean. I am a man of unclean lips, and I live in the middle of a people with unclean lips. Now here's lesson number 1. If you write in your Bible, here's the place to underscore. If you highlight, here we go. For, I, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Mine eyes have seen the King. Church, listen to me. There's not any kind of youth program, middle age program, older age program, ladies day, men's retreat. There's nothing along those lines 
that, are go that is going to make the church grow. The church will grow when we see the King in His glory. When we see the Lord sitting on that throne the way Isaiah did, and that's the only way it has ever grown. It's not going to grow any other way other than seeing, understanding, and submitting to the authority of God. The end. Point number two. Found in verse number eight. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. Isaiah was not from the United States. Did you know that? Isaiah lived all of his life in Israel. So Isaiah has not grown up with the idea that was planted some 40 or 50 years ago that we are now reaping uh, the fruit from those trees. The ideas that were planted within the church some 40 or 50 years ago began with this statement this way. You know what we should do down there at the church? You know what they should do down there at the church? Or, or look, think about those guys down there. What if they, what if we did, what if... The problem with those statements is they... We, down there, them, here's what Isaiah said. I don't care if everybody else in Israel doesn't do anything. I don't care if they don't lift one single finger. God can use me exclusively. And what we say is, this is what they should do. This is what we should. When's the last time you heard somebody say, you know what I'm going to do for God? Whether credit is given anywhere else or not, whether anybody knows what I have done, whether anybody sees it, hears about it, gives me a pat on the back, who cares? But what we find ourselves doing is saying they ought to, we ought to, and we can say that because we like to give that to someone and then back away and say, that was a good idea. I didn't have to lift a finger doing that. Now, I'm going to tell you something. And you can believe it or not. It's up to you. But statements like, we ought to do this or they ought to do that without making those things personal and trying to grow God's kingdom every other way with the exception of the way God has provided. We'll do two things. It'll work us to death here and send us to hell there. That's what it's going to do. You want the church to grow? 
Show them Jesus. You want the church to grow? You show them Jesus. It's your task, church. That would include the, the, the member of the church who has the privilege to stand here. It's your task. If they don't know, that's our fault. If they don't know, that's my fault. It's not going to grow with programs. And it's not going to grow with other people doing it. And unfortunately, for most, that is the state of even the New Testament church found even today. But there's good news. There's always good news. God is the, the source of good news. The, the good news is this, it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to stay that way. There's no sense in which we cannot say uh, individually, you know what, Isaiah's right. I'm going to change and I'm going to begin to do what I'm supposed to do even if no one else does. Perhaps when that happens, we don't miss two-thirds of the people in the evening. Perhaps when that happens, we want a few more on Wednesday. When I see the Lord, and I understand His authority, there's, there, there's not a thing one in this world that would keep me from, from uh, gathering with the saints when I understand who he is and, and then who I am. When I understand that he was the sacrifice, that one that Isaiah was seeing on that throne, he's the sacrifice. It's just 750 years before you find him on the cross. There he is, he's right there. Still in that position of authority, even 750 years before he's on the cross. Would you listen to him 2,000 years after? He holds the same authority he did before time existed and, and that he'll hold throughout eternity. Would you listen to him? When he says, hear me, would you hear him? When he says, believe me, would you believe him? You don't have to believe in me ever. Would you believe in him? Would you repent of your sin? Would you, would you change the way you think about sin? And let that change your actions? Would you confess that he is the Lord, the one that's high and lifted up. Did you be baptized into his family? Preacher, I've already done those things. Do you wake up every day saying, here am I, send me? All right, church, yes or no, do you? If not, it's time to change. It's time to change right now while we stand and sing for your encouragement. Would you be free from the burn?